welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. This is my absolute favorite month to be in church. Like every single song just hits a little bit different around Easter. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like some of those songs that we just sang, knowing what we're about to celebrate next weekend at Easter, just hit a little bit different. Like this one, freedom conquered, all our chains undone, sin defeated, Jesus has overcome. Mercy triumphed when that third day dawned, darkness was denied when that stone was gone, unstoppable God. Man, I love that song. It's almost hard to sing it when you get this close to Easter because you're that excited about celebrating what God has already done and what God is continuing to to do because he's still alive. Or how about the one we sang a couple minutes ago? Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And still you give yourself away. Oh, that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I mean, that song alone can describe that incredible love, that great love of God. It's a great love that we talked about last week for those of you that were with us. A greater love where God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. A greater love for all of humanity. And if you recall, last week we talked about somebody called the prodigal son. There was a father figure with two sons. One of the sons took everything that he had and he went to a faraway country and he spent it all away in what the Bible called reckless living. And when he came to the end of himself, he returns to the Father. And man, if there's never been a moment where you've returned to God, let today be the day. Let today be the day of what the Bible calls repentance, to turn away, because God has a greater love for you and a greater love for me. I can remember that moment of repentance for me. On March 20th, 2003, when I placed my faith in Jesus to save me, and maybe there's been a moment of that, like just like that for you, where you placed your faith in the love of God, and you trusted in the work that he did on the cross and through the power of his resurrection. And if you haven't, let today be that day. But maybe you're here and you've already received God's love. You've got it. You've placed your faith in Jesus. Heaven will be your home one day. You are a part of the family of God. What do we now do with that greater love? The greater love that has been given to us, what do we do with it? A few years ago, Karen and I moved into our new home at the time. And we were coming out of a smaller apartment, moving into a slightly bigger townhome, and we needed to furnish it. And so we thought of a place that we could go, the fanciest of all furniture stores, Ikea. And so we went to Ikea, we walked into that labyrinth, and we were, labyrinth, and we were 30 seconds into walking into the store, and we were lost. Moses, I felt like Moses, wandering around the wilderness of Ikea for the next 40 minutes as we picked up little tags saying, we'll take this and we'll take that. And then we got to the end and one of the things that we grabbed was an entertainment center for the TV, really important in our household. And so we grabbed that entertainment center, put it in the trunk, came home, and I felt fully confident that I could put that thing together. Husbands, you ever felt like that before? So I didn't need the instructions. I don't need instructions. They're Ikea instructions anyways. So I start building this thing to the best of my ability. It had shelves, it had little pull-out drawers, and I was absolutely baffled by this thing. So much to my chagrin, I reached into the box and I found those instructions. 
Those instructions that were there to save me the whole time. And when I pulled them out, guess what? The instructions had no words. It was just pictures. How many of you ever bought something from Ikea before and you know that feeling? Where you're looking at a picture and you're saying, wait, where's the screw going? Where do I put the bolt? How does this fit together? And for the next way too long, I sat on my living room floor trying to put together an entertainment center, looking at directions with no words. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? I think that's exactly how a lot of Christians look when they've received the greater love of God, and then they're trying to figure out what to do with it. Like, at first, we say to ourselves, I can handle this. I got it. And then we get cut off in traffic, and all of a sudden, we realize it's not so easy to be a Christian, we talk about, hey, I, I can handle this. I got this. And then our spouse says something, and we want to say something smart back. All of a sudden, it's not too easy doing this whole Christian life thing. And so what we do is we look around for some instructions. And we start looking at pictures of other people, and we start finding other people who call themselves Christians. And we start watching their life, and we quickly realize, well, they don't always have it together either. They don't have this thing down. But lucky for us, God has given us his written word. Literal instructions for life. Like word for word, what we're supposed to do with this greater love. And in this Bible, specifically in Luke chapter number 10, I think we find written instructions on what we're supposed to do with greater love. Specifically, there are three responses that Jesus gives us in one chapter of the Bible. The first one that we found is in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1. So if you have your Bible, you can pull it out or you can look up on the screen with me. The Bible says this. And this, the Lord appointed, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Sent them on to go ahead of him. Two by two. Into every town. Into every place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Some of us here, maybe we just used our own Bible. Some of us, I know, stared at the screen, but there are a few hardcore people in this room who pulled out their Bible, turned to that chapter, Luke 10, or their phone, and you're looking at me saying, Josh, my Bible doesn't say 72. My Bible says 70. And every person who grew up in a KGV-only home can hear their pastor in their head saying, I told you so. I told you so. Because the King James Version, the NKJV, the NASB, all of these different versions, they say, sent forth 70 disciples. 70. And the New, New International Version, the Jerusalem Bible, the NLT, the ESV, they all say 72. So like, what's the difference? If you look at the footnotes of several translations that indicate that Greek manuscripts are divided between 70 and 72, those specific numbers. And there's no way that they can be sure which one was the original because both of those, depending on where you read them from, are translated differently. Like if you read it in Hebrew, there are 70. But if you read it in Greek, there are 72. Based upon the translation that they're looking at is the version that we're looking at. But regardless of the number, the message is the same. Because when Jesus first started his earthly ministry, he picked out 12 disciples. He picked that number on purpose. One disciple for each nation of Israel. But just like that number is valuable, so is 70 or 72 based upon the Hebrew or the Greek. 
Because if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 10, you find after Noah, 70 in the Hebrew, 72 in the Greek, nations on earth. Do you understand the significance of that? That means that the gospel is for everybody. Man and woman, child alike, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your struggles, it doesn't matter your difficulties, the gospel is for you. Greater love is for you. And when it comes to this greater love, just like these 72 representatives of Jesus, we too are called to represent him. The Bible has a word for that. It's called ambassadors. To represent Jesus. To tell the world of the good news that we've found. Fritz Kreisler is a world-famous violinist. He earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions, but he generously gave a lot of his money away. As he was doing a lot of his travels, he came to a shop, and when he came to the shop, he found the most beautiful violin that he had ever seen. But he didn't have enough money to purchase it. So he continued on with his concerts and his tours, and when he'd earned enough, he came back to that same shop to purchase that same violin, and much to his dismay, that violin had been sold to a collector. After a few minutes of begging the shop owner where this violin was, the shop owner reluctantly gave the address of the man who purchased it, and Fritz Chrysler went, and he knocked on the door of that collector and said, hey, you just bought a violin in the last few months from this collector, and I know you're a valued collector, and you've put it away for many eyes to see, but I request to just play it one more time before it's put behind its glass cabinet. The collector agreed gave him the violin, and Chrysler began to play music that was so beautiful and moving. Towards the end of the song, he was interrupted by the collector who said, I don't want this violin anymore. This violin is yours. This violin is meant to be played. He specifically said this, it's yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let the people hear it. This violin was made to be played. Listen, church. Just like that violin was made to be played, we have been saved to be sent. And we have a message to share. We have a gospel, a good news to share. He has created us as exquisite instruments, beautifully playing the music of his gospel, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are made to be played. We have been saved to be sent. We are ambassadors, representatives of him. Because the good news, the gospel, the greater love is for everybody. And when it comes to greater love, I think we need to understand that we are called to be ambassadors. And it begins with a resounding call, with a call for laborers into the harvest. And Luke 10 continues with a gut-wrenching story that we call the Good Samaritan. Everybody look to the person next to you and say, Good Samaritan. How many of you are familiar with that story? The Good Samaritan. This passage begins with Jesus saying, Love your neighbor like you love yourself. <clears throat> this smart Jewish man says, Well, God, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And this was Jesus' response. He goes to Luke 10 and verse 30, where the Bible says this A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among some robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. We just discovered somebody in the passage that we could call the neglected. 
He was beaten, he was robbed, and he was left for dead. He was neglected. But for somebody to be neglected, there have to be some neglectors. Some people doing the neglecting. Check it out in verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Hold on a minute. These two guys, the priest and the Levite, they were supposed to be ambassadors for Jesus, for God. They were already called to be representatives of God. Don't miss this truth. We fail our purpose when we try to be an ambassador without first being a neighbor. We fail at our purpose when we first try to be an ambassador before we ever try to be a neighbor. And to kind of hit this truth home a little bit, I'm going to use some words that maybe you've heard in our culture today. Because there are way too many keyboard warriors. Like they've got a message for the world to hear, but they're not very neighborly about how they're sharing it. We have way too many picketers who care about a good cause like an unborn child, but care very little about the mother. There are way too many disgruntled bloggers. There are way too many ambassadors of Jesus who are horrible, horrible, horrible neighbors. In this passage, we find the neglected and the neglector, and then we find what the Bible calls the neighbor. Luke 10 and verse 33, but a Samaritan, by the way, the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews, <clears throat> hated by Jewish people. And so they, too, often hated Jewish people. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where that neglected man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He helps him. Helps him back to a hotel, pays for his way, sees to his healing. And can we just stop right now for a second? Don't let the, the devil confuse you into thinking you're the neighbor. You are not the good Samaritan. A lot of times we look at this passage and we're like, man, I'm going to help the homeless. I'm going to help the neglected. I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to do some good. I'm going to be a good neighbor. But that's not who the good Samaritan is. Don't confuse it. The good Samaritan is Jesus. He saw us. He felt compassion for us. He paid the price for us. He made a way for us. He came so that we could be saved. He brought healing to us. He saved us. And just like Jesus was a good neighbor, he is now calling us to be imitators of him. To be good neighbors, imitators of Jesus. And so what do we do with this great love? Well, you be neighborly. You be like Jesus. You imitate Jesus. And as you become a better imitator, as you become a better neighbor, you become a better ambassador right away. As you become a better imitator of Jesus, you start becoming a better representative of Jesus. In college, I sold shoes. And I was pretty good at selling shoes. Like, not to be cocky, I was the best Brooks shoe salesman in the entire country. How many of you own a pair of Brooks running shoes? It's because you never met me in a, in a Dick's Sporting Goods. I'd have had you walking out with two. No, but seriously, I was. 
there were people coming from California to talk to me about moving to California to work for the company called Brooks. But what's amazing about me being a sales shoesman, a shoe salesman, can't speak, but I can sell shoes. A shoe salesman was that even though I could sell Brooks, I didn't own a single thing that said Brooks on it. I didn't own Brooks shoes. I didn't own Brooks shirts. I didn't own shorts. I didn't own socks. I didn't own anything that said Brooks. And so I was called out to go to this like conference for sneakerheads. And there they equipped me with all kinds of stuff, including Brooks gear. You know what's crazy? When I went back to my local store and I began to sell Brooks, but this time wearing Brooks, do you know how much easier it was to sell those shoes with those shoes on my feet? Because now when I was saying, hey, you got to buy this shoe. It's the best shoe on the market. I'd point out at my shoe and I'd say, see, I'm wearing them too. Listen, church, it is so much easier to represent Jesus when we're already imitating Jesus. And likewise, it's a lot harder to represent Jesus when we're not acting like him. Man, I think there might be a reason why so many people say I left church because those Christians don't act like the God they say they believe in. So the number one reason why people don't come back to a church is because they say church is a place filled with hypocrites, right? Hypocrites. Church, if you don't want to be a hypocrite, then we must choose to be imitators of Jesus. And when it comes to this greater love, we too must remember that we have been called out to imitate him, to be neighbors. And this story continues. And when it comes to this greater love, we have been called to be ambassadors. We have been called to be imitators, neighbors. And then Luke 10 finishes with this awesome story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered into a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted much serving. Martha's cleaning. She's working. She's doing all the jobs. Doing her very best to be an ambassador for God. Doing her very best to be an imitator of God because she's seen Jesus do all this kind of work before. Mary's sitting, listening to the words of Jesus, not doing any work. It's become pretty well known that Martha was a worker, while Mary was a worshiper. But which one's right? Here's what we find in verse verse 41. But the Lord answered, Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about a lot of things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. And that can't be taken away from her. Ashburn, do not miss this. Martha was trying to be an ambassador. She was trying to be a neighbor, and that's great. But there's a major problem. She forgot to be a worshiper. And when it comes to our lives, for us to be effective ambassadors, for us to be effective imitators and neighbors, we must first worship. Worship. I think one of the biggest dangers of the Christian life in our culture is becoming so consumed with work that we forget to worship. Like in this room right now, there are so many jobs happening. So many people working for the kingdom. Like there's Lauren, who had a baby last week, who's playing a guitar in the background while I preach. She's doing a job. There's Isaiah, who plays the drums. Uh, There's Alex, who plays the bass. 
there's Kara who sings, there's Aaron on the soundboard, there's Joe doing slides and lights, there's the other Joe doing live stream, there's Dan somewhere taking pictures, you walk outside and you've got Lisa and Tony welcoming, you've got Mike and Sean doing coffee, you make your way up the stairs, you've got Rebecca in nursery with somebody, you've got Brittany and somebody else over there doing something in that room, I think it's Kiana, serving, doing jobs, and do you know what's dangerous with work? Sometimes we get so consumed with it that we forget to worship. And listen, there are so many things that we do throughout the week. Like tomorrow morning, a lot of us got to wake up and go to work. Some of us got to go to school. Some of us have to be an actual good neighbor and help out somebody in our community. Some of us have to be dads and moms and husbands and wives and grandmas and grandpas. And that means going to games, picking up kids from school, dropping kids off, making sure there's food on the table. There's a lot of work to do. But in all the work, we can't forget to worship. Because when we choose to work without first worshiping, we always experience burnout. Every single time. It happened to Martha. She's out here working and getting everything prepped and ready so that Jesus can enjoy a meal, so that he can enjoy his time. She's trying to be an ambassador. She's trying to be an imitator, but she's not worshiping. And as a result, her attention gets drawn from her work to the other people in the room saying, well, she's not doing what I'm doing. And we do the same thing. When we get so consumed with our job that we forget to worship, we've missed our purpose. I think the most unhealthy time in my entire life spiritually I was doing the most work with the littlest worship. Can I describe what was once my Sunday morning? We'd get up super early. <clears throat> we'd go to church. I would lead worship practice from the drums. And then when I was done leading worship practice, I would get up and I'd go up to a balcony where I'd teach teenagers a Sunday school lesson for an hour. And then I'd leave that place and I'd go down to the back room where I'd pray with the volunteer team. And then I'd leave that volunteer team and we'd go out on stage and we'd lead worship for 15, 20 minutes. Then we'd pray and I'd find a side exit where I'd make my way to the other side of the building where I would lead our kids ministry. And we'd teach a lesson and we'd sing some songs and we'd play some games. But at about 10 till, I had to stop. Because when the invitation started, that meant we were going to do another song in the main service. So I had to leave ABC Kids, literally run down the hallway, get on the drums, make sure that final song was played. During the prayer, I had to stand back up, go out a side door, run all the way down the hallway to make sure that the kids were dismissed and there were volunteers there so that when the parents came, kids could find their parents. And we were there like 20 to 30 minutes after church was over because parents take forever to get their kids. And we'd get done with Sunday morning and then we'd have to do it all again on Sunday night. And do you know what happened every single Sunday? I'd finish doing so much work and not spending a single minute in actual worship. That's dangerous. I actually came to the end of those couple years of doing that. I was exhausted mentally, physically, but most importantly and most disappointingly, spiritually. I was running on empty. And in Ashburn, we try to help. Like there's, we try to make sure there's plenty of ABC Kids volunteers and nursery volunteers so that nobody's repeating. And we try to fill in spaces. But, but the most important thing that we do in this place is worship. And the most important thing that you do throughout the week is worship. Can I just encourage you? Don't run on empty. Don't try to be an imitator. 
without first being a worshiper. Don't try to be an ambassador without first being a neighbor. And when it comes to this greater love, I mean, it's a love that will literally change the world. Jesus took 12 guys, one representing each of the nations of Israel. And then in Luke 10, he turns into 70 or 72, and he sends those people out two by two to go into every city to talk about this great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. This good news changes everything. But make sure it changes you. Make sure it changes you. Don't let this great God doing these great things distract you from him being your great God, doing your great things, his great things in you. That's the purpose of this greater love. What, have we, what are we doing with it? Have we accepted it? Are we sharing his ambassadors? Are we imitating his neighbors? Are we listening to Jesus as worshipers? for joining us. If you have any prayer requests or questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website, ashburnchicago.church.